It's a great song to end on today. We are going to be looking at some uh, a reality today about the character of Christ, which is also the character of the Father and the character of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. That is in many ways going to be uh, going to require that we make a transition from what Christ does to who He is. I hope we've been able to do that already. Uh, I was thinking this week about uh, a movie, uh, Hunt for Red October. Any of y'all ever see that old movie? All right, great movie. There's a scene in that movie where uh, where the captain, the, the Russian captain, who's played by Sean Connery, Sean Connery, and he's, uh, they're, they're in, the, in the submarine, and there's a, a missile has been fired, or a torpedo has been fired toward the sub that they're in. And... Uh, and Sean Connery starts giving commands, directions to the people that are driving the, the sub, giving directions to, to tell them exactly what to do. And, uh, and they figure out that as he gives the directions and the, the coordinates of how they're supposed to move the sub uh, to try and avoid being hit by this tor- torpedo, that they're actually turning the, tor- the, the submarine towards the torpedo. And they're going straight into the torpedo and and they and the people that are hearing these directions and are trusting him uh because he's such a great sub captain renowned submarine captain that they're 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 doing everything that he says but it seems strange and it's something they've never done before and then all of a sudden they're going right into the torpedo and one of them announces that he says he's turning us right into the torpedo and he, he says, or they, they announced to him, he said, well, that direction is going to turn us right into the torpedo. He says, he gives them the same directions again. And, and, he, and then they just do it because they trust him. And they all uh, get ready for an explosion when the torpedo comes to hit the submarine. But because he reduced the distance between the sub and the torpedo, the, the, the uh, torpedo was not armed yet. It, was only, it would only be armed when it gets closer to, the, where the, to its destination. So he knew that and reduced the distance so the, sub, the torpedo hit the sub and then bounced off. And he didn't have time to tell him all the right things to do or the reasons why he was doing what he's doing. All he had time to do was to give commands and then follow what he said to do. And because they trusted him as a submarine captain and knew that, that of all people on the boat, he was the best person to be given directions they followed him i thought about that this week because i thought you know we need to make a transition between having to have god explain to us and everything that he's doing Uh, having to have god tell us every time that that he gives us a command to follow that that he would tell us ahead of time what it's how's it going to turn out that we would know what to expect at the end in the way of results before we obey what God says. We need to get beyond the point of being able to see a good result at the end and then following Christ because we feel like we understand that it's leading us somewhere that's going to be nice or comfortable or exciting or whatever it is that you think you would be a part of if you could see where he was taking us. We need to get beyond that to the point that we trust the person the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, the God of the universe who created us to enjoy him forever. That that God, that we trust the person enough to say, okay, I'm just going to do what you 
are telling me to do, what I know in my heart that you're telling me to do because I trust you, not because I can see the end, right? So I love the fact that we ended today singing a very familiar hymn that talks about the goodness of God, the greatness of God, that, that he is trustworthy, that, that, that if we can begin to see that these characteristics that we're studying are more than just a fill-in-the-blank kind of study that we go through the Bible and say, okay, what are all the things that we've already studied? Let me mark those off. Okay, Jesus is this, 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 and this. But that we really are getting the fact that he is that and that he lives inside of us and he's guiding us and he's leading us and wants us desperately to know him in our own experiences of his character in all the ways that we've talked about. I hope that's making sense to you. I hope you're getting that. I hope you are being changed by the knowledge that you're gaining about who God is in Christ and in the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and that that we possess him and he possesses us, that we are all, we have all the resources of the, the character of God, not just the things that he has. Now, why do I say that today of all days? Because today we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is healer. He is the healer. We can't avoid it. It's, 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 it's evident in Scripture. There's so much Scripture that talks about the healing that Jesus did while he was on the earth. Uh, in, in Baptist circles, we tend to avoid anything that has to do with healing. But instead today, we're going we're gonna to dive in to an experience that Jesus has in the town of Capernaum where we left him uh, before Easter. Remember in, in Capernaum, he came in and there, there were, there were uh, people that had been rejected a lot of Gentiles who, you know, it was the, the uh, by the Sea of Galilee where Gentiles lived. And, and, there, and there was a man, last time that we studied, uh, there was a man in the synagogue who was possessed by a demon. And there were many demons, many people who were possessed by demons in the synagogue. And Jesus cast out the demon in the synagogue. And we, we had a lesson on that, that Jesus has authority over demons Another topic that we don't normally talk about in Baptist churches. But today we're going to take it from there and see where Jesus goes. And try to learn some valuable lessons about what does it mean when we say that Jesus is our healer. Not just that Jesus heals, but he is our healer. And how do we look at that in the context of the whole of who God is and who he's revealing in Christ in this story. So Luke chapter 4, verses 38 and 30 through 44 will be our focal passage. I hope you're excited to learn this. We believe in healing at the gathering place, Wes. We believe that Jesus is still healer, that the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us still brings physical healing in people's lives and spiritual healing along with that. We believe in that. We practice that. Uh, in the ways that the, the Scripture talks about. We're going to see today uh, some non-biblical teachings that are, re, that are tied to healing. And we're going to pull out of the, the story, this story about a number of healings that Jesus does in Scripture. Uh, we're going to bring, bring some principles to, and some truth to what the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is going to do and will do for us because He is our healer. So chapter 4, verses 38 to 44. And he arose and left the synagogue. This is the synagogue where in Capernaum where he had healed, uh, where he had cast the demon out. 
and he entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose again and began to serve him. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. That's our focal passage today. So let's pick up from, and just take, take it piece by piece from the top. Here's what it says, first of all. It says that Jesus goes into Simon's house. His mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And he, one passage, or one of the Gospels, or two of the Gospels says he touched her. Doesn't really matter. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he heals his mother-in-law of this high fever. They, they asked him and he and appealed to him and he heals them or heals her. And so the first thing we can see very clearly, I want to make this point before we move on, is that Jesus touches the hands of, or touches with his hand Peter's mother-in-law or just speaks it, and she was healed from a fever. That Jesus has absolute power to heal. Before we talk about anything else, let's settle that fact. That Jesus, in the same way that he had absolute power to cast out demons, he has absolute authority and power to heal. When Jesus announces wholeness over a sick person or even a dead body, then there's the same result as there was when he cast out the demon in the synagogue at Capernaum. Absolute and complete obedience to his desire. Whatever Jesus desires, it gets done. Not only his touch, but when he speaks, it gets done. Whatever is in the heart of Christ to do, it gets done. All right, I want to just take a second for us to think that through. Because the the one truth that we need to get out of this passage before, before anything else is said, and we're going to end up in the same place, is that whatever the Holy Spirit desires to do, consider it done. Y'all with me? Healing is no exception to the rule. Healing is done when the Holy Spirit desires that someone would be healed. We need to settle that. I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to say it on the side of people who think that God doesn't heal anymore. Here's what I want to tell you. Those of you that are skeptical about the healing of of God, nothing has ever changed about God. God has always been able to heal, and he still can heal. If he wills it, it's done. I don't care if, you get, if, you, if you're touched. I don't care if you're anointed with oil. I don't care if somebody speaks over you. I don't care if you have enough faith. None of that matters when God says you're going to be healed. Guess what? Disease is gone. Demons fly. Everything disappears. All sickness disappears when God says it will disappear. So let's get that settled. Before we go on. But what can we learn from these first demonstrations of the healing power of Jesus? 
First of all, whatever the will of God of the Godhead is related to sickness in individual lives, it will occur. Nothing we do will ever stop it or change it. So it must be the will of God. If someone's going to be healed, it must be the will of God. Not only will the will of God occur, it will not, healing will not occur unless it is the will of God. In John chapter 5, we've told this story before. It's part of the abiding cycle. It's, when, we, when we do new member orientation, those of you who have been through that, we use this story. But in John chapter 5, uh, we find one of the first places where Jesus heals someone at the pool of Bethesda. In chapter 5, verses 2 through 9, it says, Now there were in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, or there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which, is, which has five roofed colonnades. How many roofed colonnades? In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. How many invalids? A multitude. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered to him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now when Jesus was questioned later, about this healing by the Sanhedrin who gathered around and asked him by whose authority he he had done this and he had healed this man on the Sabbath, so they were all up in arms about it. He tells this to the members of the Sanhedrin, picking up in verse 17. Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. So the will of God is what brought this man's healing about. Jesus says, it was the will of my father that this man be healed. They were accusing him of healing on the Sabbath. He said, listen, the reason why this man was healed is because the father was all about this man being healed. And whatever the father does, the son does also. I'm just, I'm just a, a tool to be used by the father. I'm totally submitted to the father. Matter of fact, in case you were wondering, there's nothing that I do Nothing in my whole life, there's not an act that I perform that's not done because the Father's, I'm just joining the Father in it. It is the Father's will. I do nothing on my own, he says. I only do what I see the Father doing. So Jesus sees the Father at work in this man's life, and he joins the Father. And there's so much going around today regarding healing. I want us to understand this very strong point that you are not going to be healed unless the Father wants you to be healed. And we at the Gathering Place are not about going around trying to find people who are sick and announcing to everybody that they're going to be healed. 
we're about looking around and asking you uh, to, to pray through what is God doing in your life and what is God's will for you. Uh, Jesus asked this man who had been lay, laying by the pools of Bethesda, which these, once a year the, the pool would be stirred and, and the first person in the pool would be healed. And he says, I have no one to help me. And, and he'd been there for years wanting to be healed. And when the, when the time came and Jesus saw the Father at work and Jesus brings uh, or the Father brings Jesus into the path of this man, and Jesus asks him a question. Do you want to be healed? And, and the truth is, when that combination happens, when someone prays and asks the Father, what is your will? And, and we seek the will of the Father. We find out what, is, what are you doing in this sickness, and what is your, your desire and will according uh, for this sickness in my life? then we're starting right. We shouldn't start by asking for healing. We should start by asking, what are you doing, God, in my life? As elders, when people come to us for healing, for prayer for healing, our first question is going to be, what's God doing in your life? How's God using this sickness in your life? What is God's will regarding this sickness in your life? And we want to join God in whatever his will is for you. So the will of God is the first thing that's necessary, an understanding of what is the will of God and recognize that, that God is not going to heal unless it's his will. He's not going to go against his will. We're not going to talk him into doing something that he's not intending to do. However, the second thing in this passage that we find is that Jesus responds to their appeal. In, in verse 4, I mean, verse 38, the first part of verse 38 of chapter 4 of Luke it says, now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. Jesus wants us to come to him with our appeals. When there's sickness in your, in your life or in your family's life, there's sickness that's going on, he wants us as his friends to come to him and bring our appeals to him. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, there's a familiar passage to most of us says this, the writer of Hebrews says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy or receive mercy and find grace to help. In time of need. Jesus wants us to come to him. And what I would submit to you guys today is that as we started the sermon today and talked about the person rather than, than the event or the results, being focused on the person rather than the results, I believe that when we come to Christ, he wants us to come with expectancy. With an absolute confidence that we are heard and that the Holy Spirit is without a doubt going to give us a perfect response to our prayer. If you have sickness in your life, or if you have somebody in your life that's sick, or you have uh, whatever that you need to be healed of in your life, God would have us to come to him as a friend with our appeal and with this attitude, a great sense of expectancy, that, that we know who he is, 
that, that we understand that he is faithful, that he's good, that his, what he desires for us is for our good and the best thing for us. That he hears us without a doubt that the Holy Spirit is going to respond and going to accomplish whatever God's will is in our life. Now, whether you go to God to find out what his will is before you ask or not, and I recommend that you do according to this passage. But whether you do or not, God is going to accomplish his will in your life. You are his child. God's will is going to be accomplished anyway. But wouldn't it be great if we went to God and, and when we went to God with our prayers for healing in our lives or for sickness to continue, that we would go knowing the will of God and that we would go trusting with a great sense of expectancy that God is going to do what is best rather than going with doubts and fears, going with anxiety, going with an expectation that we're not being heard or with a feeling if we don't get the kind of result that we desire that that God has not heard us. Listen, Christ hears us when we pray and he likes us to come to him. And so not only has it got to be God's will, and not only does God encourage us to come to him whenever we're sick, but a third thing that I notice in this story is that Jesus continues to heal. He continues to heal many, but he does it in obedience to the Father's leading. Look at it in verse 40 and 41. When the sun was setting, all those who, all those, how, what is it, how many? All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them. How many? Every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Now at first glance, at first glance, it seems that Jesus heals sick and casts out demons simply because people come to him. That just because Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, he was now obligated to heal everybody who was brought before him. But we need to look deeper before we draw conclusions about Jesus the healer. In Matthew's account of this passage, he adds the reason for this particular all-inclusive healing that goes on in Capernaum. This, in this case, in this time, in this moment, what, why is Jesus healing everyone? Rather than making a broad, all-inclusive statement about healing and sickness, let's find out what's going on. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Matthew says, That evening they brought, him to, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is establishing himself by following the will of the Father. The Father is doing something in Jesus' life. The Father is doing something in the world, and now is the time. This is the moment when there needs to be a healing that's all-inclusive so that the prophet's words, the prophet Isaiah's words would be fulfilled. Jesus is following the will of the Father. He's being guided to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament exactly. He is showing us what it looks like to walk in absolute obedience to the Father. So the Father's character can be seen through us. He's joining God in God's bigger plan. 
And in this case, healing fits the Father's plan. Healing everyone that was in the city fits the Father's plan. But let's look again at the passage in John and remember that this is not a principle that we can apply to every situation where healing is needed. In John chapter 5, we read the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Let me remind you, in, in verse 2 and 3, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And how many did Jesus heal in John chapter 5? One. He healed one. Is it because John was not able to, to say that he healed all the people who were at the pools? At, at the, in the five colonnades, all these pools and the many multitude, the Bible describes, of people who lay sick? Is that, that God can't heal them all, or that John just, just chose not to announce that? Do you think that John would not have announced that? Do you think that that would not have, have been an incredible move of God in that place? But God chose to heal one man in that situation, and he heals everyone in another place. Why? Because the Father was accomplishing something, and there's a time to everything that Jesus was doing. He was doing it exactly as the Father wanted him to do it because there's a big plan in the life of Jesus. So he, even when he casts out demons uh, in, in, uh, in, this, in this story, in our text today, he uh, doesn't allow them to say that he's the Christ. Because there's a time when, when people need to know that he's the Christ. And the time has not yet come. And so he silences those from announcing who he is. There's a time in God's plan. There, there's a way that God's plan unfolds that we can't see. He, he is the architect. And we are just those people who come to the job every day with our lunchbox and our hammer and say, what do we do today? That's all we are. We are not the architects who, are, who have the, the, the plans in our minds and, and the whole plan before us of, of not only our lives but of eternity that's unfolding. And in God's plan, his, everything is being accomplished exactly according to his plan. And so we need to recognize that, that we don't obligate God. That there was a reason why Jesus did what he did. And it was because he was being a part of the Father's plan. He continued to heal many in obedience to the Father's leading. Now, what's the point of Matthew trying to drive home in his version of this story, that point that this was the fulfillment of prophecy? I believe Jesus is healing in this story because the Father would have many healed and would reveal himself in that day in Capernaum. For that day. Because in the Father's wisdom, and for the Father's pleasure and for the good of mankind, all needed to be healed in that day. That's important for us to understand because it affects how we see Jesus. Look at it with me. Listen, it, it affects how we see Jesus. If we, don't, if we don't see the whole truth of this passage, it affects how we see healing, how we see the character of Christ in regard to his healing because we know he is able, and yet there are times when he doesn't heal. We need to understand that because it affects the way we see him. And if we're going to gain a proper perspective regarding the character of Jesus, which is our goal in this study, our character, the character of Jesus as healer in this case, then we need to see all of the truth. Look, there are popular healing beliefs 
that are not biblical. And you've come across them probably. And, and they, they give us a false picture of who Christ is. If we don't look at this healing in the way that we just described, then, then we, we get a false picture of who Christ is. For instance, there are some that say that God doesn't want anyone to be sick. And so when I'm sick and I'm praying and asking God to heal me, knowing that he can heal me, then, then it, it says to me that Jesus doesn't care about me like he cares about those who are being healed. Is that a true statement? Does Jesus not care for me as, one, as, a, as a, his child as much as he cares for somebody else who's his child? And so I'm not healed because of that? No, it's not true. But it's a popular belief that God doesn't want anyone to be sick. We see in this case, in these two stories, that there, there are cases when people remain sick. There are things that God is accomplishing in the sickness and through the sickness. There was a thorn in Paul's flesh that most of you are familiar with. It's not described in detail in Scripture, I think, because God wanted us to be able to, to have, find ourselves in the story. There was a thorn in, in Paul's flesh, an instrument of Satan that God allowed to inflict Paul and would not remove from his life. Because God wasn't interested in Paul not having that affliction. God was interested in reducing the pride that Paul was so prone to have. And so he said, it's going to stay in there so that you will remain humble. Paul doesn't know what God's doing. All he's doing is praying, asking it to be removed. Three times he asked that it would be removed, and it wasn't. And then God revealed to Paul his will, and that was to keep his pride subdued. You don't know what God's doing in your life. But, but let me just give, let me let you know this for sure. God at times wants sickness in our lives. You're not going to hear many people tell you that. But the truth is, in this case, there were people who were sick that remained sick. It wasn't because God couldn't remove it. It wasn't because he, he, he didn't love them. It's because he did love them. And if you're his child today, he loves you. And, it, and sometimes that means sickness will be in your life. And God will accomplish his will in the sickness if you get the proper perspective of who he is. Sickness should not alter the way we feel about God. But if we have this thought that God doesn't want anyone to be sick, it will affect the way that you think about God. So let's get a proper perspective today. Another thing is that God, a second thing is that God has uh, this popular healing beliefs. God has given us principles that we need to take hold of kind of formulas that we need to just operate by. And, and if you're not healed, then the problem is you didn't follow the formula correctly. You didn't have enough faith. The elders didn't pray right, didn't get anointed with oil. All, what does that say to us? If that's true, it says that Jesus will only heal me if I do everything right. And if I can somehow from deep within myself draw up a little bit more faith. You know, I, I am what I am. I bring what what I bring to the to this scenario and the truth is if I'm sick and I'm bringing that to God I'm bringing it to him for a reason and and I there are no formulas if you follow the formula correctly it doesn't mean you're going to be healed God is not going to be reduced to a formula and he's not going to his will is not going to be changed uh, based on whether or not you follow a formula if God wants you to be healed what's true you are healed it doesn't matter if you follow a formula or not now there's some things that we need to do that scripture defines for us, but it's only so that we can come to know God more deeply in the process of healing. It's not that God is dependent upon us in order to get healing done. 
But some of us think that that's the way it is. I've been told so many times the reason why people aren't healed is because we didn't follow the right formula. We didn't do it right. And that puts it all on us, and it gives us a false perspective of who Christ is. He is not depending upon us to do everything right in order to bring healing in our lives. Y'all believe that? All right, and the third thing is we can't, uh, you know, popular healing beliefs say that we can obligate God by reminding him of what he did in the past. That we obligate God by saying, see see in Scripture right here in this passage that we just read today, everybody was healed. And so, God, you got to heal us. That we obligate God by reminding him of the past, by going back, even the promises of God in Scripture, that we go to, to the promises and we obligate God for our healing because of the promises about health in Scripture. Like God doesn't know about the promises about health in the Scripture. I mean, it sounds good. And I'm all about understanding what the promises of Scripture are, but don't try to reduce God to a bunch of words in the book. You know, God is real. He's a person. The book describes who he is and who he has been in certain situations in Certain, on certain occasions, and it is not inconsistent with God that you would call on one of his promises and he would bring healing in your life. But let me just tell you, I know personally, as God's child, that there have been times when I have claimed a promise from God's word about health, and I stayed sick. Anybody else in here have that experience? It causes us to think of God in a wrong way if we don't see the whole truth of this passage. We can't obligate God. By anything. We are not God. We don't understand the workings of God, the mind of God, the ways of God are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. We don't know what God's doing in our life. The best thing that we can do is find out from God what He's doing and just agree with Him on it. People that say that we can obligate God don't take into consideration the will of God for every situation. Look at what happens next in the story. And you can see clearly that there's only one reason why Jesus doesn't heal anyone else in the town after that day of healing. There's only one reason. And the reason is that he's following the Father's plan. Jesus is not going to change his purpose simply because, uh, he's not going to change his purpose of abiding in the Father's will. That's not happening. He healed a demon-possessed man in the synagogue at Capernaum by the Father's leading. He spent the whole day healing people that day, by the Father's leading. And then where do we find him? Look in verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. That was their will. It was their desire. Oh, we, we, he's obligated to stay here. He started something. And now he's obligated to stay with us. And, and look at what Jesus says. He said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For, the, for I was sent for this purpose. And then he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. What does Jesus do the next day? He doesn't do what most of us would do. He doesn't give in to the pressure of the people coming up to more people coming and saying, well, look, here's a whole bunch more ministry going on. No, he goes to a desolate place. He gets along with his father. And he finds out what the father's will is for this day. And the Father's will is not for him to stay in Capernaum healing more people. The Father's will is for him to move on to the next towns and villages to bring the message of of salvation. So people wanted him to stay longer, but he was determined to follow the Father's plan. 
Jesus would never think about healing someone without consulting the Father to see what his master plan was for the life of that one that was being healed and then trusting the Father to do what was best. This is not a cop-out, church. It's an absolute necessity if we're going to see the truth about Jesus and healing. It's not a cop-out to say it's not the Father's plan. It's not in His will to bring healing in someone's life. If you're sick and you're a child of God and He has not healed you yet, then that is his, that's His will. Now, now, we need to ask Him what He wants us to do in response to that. Maybe He wants the whole church to gather around you and pray so that we can see and have some invested interest uh, in, in your healing. So we can see the healing personally and see the power of God in your life so that you wouldn't be healed in an isolated moment when you pray by yourself. Who knows what God's doing? Maybe there's a reason why God has illness in your life because he's trying to discipline you in some way in your walk with him. We need to understand that, that just as Jesus healed in connection with the perfect character and perfect plan of the Father, which was good and for the good of those who were in that town and those who are being healed in the story, the Holy Spirit does the same for us today. Their best good was to know the Father and be satisfied in their relationship with him. Sometimes healing is the best way for that to happen, and sometimes sickness is a better way. This life is not about us being physically well. Let me say that again. This life is not about us being physically well. It's about abiding in the Holy Spirit and coming to know him through every type of experience, be it sickness or health, poverty or wealth, whatever it is. Jesus doesn't stay and he and invite people from every town to come into this place, to this healing place. He moves on to preach in another town, other towns in Judea. There's no fixation of Jesus on a location, on a type of ministry, on a demonstrative gift of the Spirit. And there's no desire of Jesus to stay where a crowd is gathered. Jesus is going to be about the Father's will, and off he goes. And he's trying to teach, I believe, them and us this truth. That the same power that dwells inside of Jesus for healing is the same power that dwells inside of people for sustaining us whenever sickness is there. It's not about being physically well. It's about knowing God. So what do we need to do? in response to Jesus being our healer. First of all, I think we need to realize that whatever the will of the Holy Spirit is related to sickness in our lives and in the lives of those that we love and that we want to pray for, it is going to occur. Nothing that we can do will stop it or change it. So we need to ask God, first of all, what is your will? It's not always easy to ask what the will of God is. It's it's an awkward thing to, to stand before a group of people who's, got a family member who's dying of cancer and, and, and say, we need to ask God what his will is. It's not popular, and it's not easy to do that. <laughs> it's kind of a funny story, but not, not funny. There was a, a time when I was going to visit two people who had cancer. Both of them were on their deathbed, in the hospital, not conscious. And uh, I brought one of our elders with me who had, who had never uh, gone with me on any visits, hospital visits before, but the day he was with me, so we went together. And I was confident 
already before I even got there that the Lord wanted me to pray for their death. And so I went into two different places. And we gathered around in a circle, and I prayed for the death of the people in the bed. And he said, and one of them, the first, first time I prayed for it, he looked up at me like, what? And then the second one, he looked up, and the guy, one of the family members looked up at me like, what? And then he, his conclusion from our visit, by the way, both of them died that night. And his conclusion from our visit is he didn't want me to ever visit him in the hospital <laughs> and pray for him. Not an easy thing to pray for someone to die, you know. How do, how do we get that, you know, what do you do with the response of the people around you? It's not an easy thing for people to, to pray for people to remain sick. But I just want to encourage you guys that if we want to know who Christ is, if our goal at the gathering place is to abide in him, come to know him by experience, then don't assume that God wants you to be well every time you're sick. Go to God and ask him, what's the reason for this sickness? Are you wanting to accomplish something in my life? What is your plan for this sickness? I have a great sense of expectancy that whatever your plan is, is good. It's, it's going to be for my good. It's going to be for the kingdom's best, and I want your will. I don't even want to ask for anything that's outside of your will. So before I ask for healing, I want to ask you, what are you doing? And is it your will that I be healed? And trust that God will speak to you in that. I think you're going to come out of that experience with a better understanding of who Christ is than you would as your healer, than you would if you just asked for blind healing and then had to deal with the consequences. Y'all with me? So the first thing that I recommend, that I I grab out of this story, is we need to ask God his will. The second thing, realize that Jesus will respond to our appeal. He absolutely will will respond to our appeal. We need to appeal to God for his will. But then we also need to appeal for God, appeal to God for the, we need to agree with God in prayer for his will. When someone comes to us, I've told this story before, but uh, when Casey Knotts, Casey and Alan came to us and and she, she had endometriosis in her, her uh, fallopian tubes were so blocked they couldn't even scope them. She couldn't get pregnant, and the only uh, the only way that uh, endometriosis is healed uh, medically is by pregnancy. They had already dealt with the fact that they would never have kids, and they had already dealt. She had already dealt with the fact that I'm going to have to live in this pain. And when we sat as a group of elders around and prayed uh, to pray for them, I asked them what was God's will. She said, "Well, the only thing that we know." is that God wanted us to, to love him regardless. And we have resolved that I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my life, and we're not going to have children, and we still love God. I said, I said, then why are you here? She said, because God told us to come and have the elders pray over us. So we prayed over her, and two weeks she was pregnant. Couldn't get a tube into scope to find out well, you know, what was going on? She's pregnant in two weeks. I mean, that's God. That is, that is Jesus being the healer. That is the Holy Spirit doing his complete work in this couple's life. And they're a great couple. Love the Lord, serving God, and have two beautiful, two, three. Pregnant, for, pregnant with a third, right? No? No, not pregnant. Okay, just two. Two beautiful girls. Hmm, I just spoke that. <laughs> 
You don't have to speak. You don't have to be a prophet to speak pregnancy in the TGP people, man. It's, it's, but anyway, so so they're a beautiful picture of of a complete story. You know what they came out of that with? A deep love for God and two kids. But you know they got a deep love for God, and that's what's important. They have an understanding of who their healer is. And so we ask, and we want to ask, and the elders are available to pray over you. Uh, all you need to do is just tell us, and we will. You, know, you need to ask God <laughs> what his will is because we're going to ask you what is God's will. Ask God what his will is for your sickness, and then come and let's pray together. And let's ask this, beseech the Lord. Let's appeal to God for your healing like the disciples did in this case. They appealed to Jesus, and then he brought about healing. And then the third thing for us, oh, by the way, that passage in James chapter 5, here it is. Here's, here's why we do what we do, not because the formula works, but just because as elders, God has given us a something to do. And I think it's so that elders' faith can grow. And I think it's also so we can guide you in this process. James chapter 5, verse 14 to 16 says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall sa- uh, will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, what does he mean by that? Confession of sin is sin is anything that's outside the will of God. What he's saying in this passage, go to the elders and let's agree together what God's will is and let's pray for it. Let's get the sin out and let's get the Holy Spirit's will in. All right, and then the third thing. Jesus continues to heal many in obedience to the Father's leading, and we also, I believe, in response to that, need to trust the will of God and continue to abide in Christ regardless of our circumstances. How many times is sickness or problems or tragedy going to come into your life or let's move it outside the realm of sickness because we're just talking about the will of God and knowing God in it. Rough circumstances in the workplace, hard stuff in your family. How many times are things going to come into your life and you're going to be thrown off of your relationship with God? You quit abiding. You quit asking. You quit seeking. You quit trying to find out what the will of God is in your life. How many times is that stuff going to come into your life and throw you off in your relationship with God when the whole purpose of it is to draw you near? I ask this all the time. How many of you would say that with a show of hand that the, the time that you've grown the most in your knowledge of God has been during a trial or circumstance or problem in your life? It's everybody, just about. That's when God shows up. You know, he's doing something. And so I want to say clearly as we close today, Jesus is your healer. It is who he is. He desires it. It happens. But it's not about this life. It's not about our physical bodies. He is doing something bigger. And so let's hold on to the healer and let's ask him step by step what we need to do in regard to the sickness in our lives. When you have sickness in your life, yes, he can heal it and will do it in a word. But find out what his will is. Get to know God in the middle of sickness or in the middle of healing because he's present. Because he's at our right hand, we will not be shaken. We read that this morning, Psalm 16. He is with us. 
and he's accomplishing his will in our lives. Absolutely, without a doubt. Trustworthy healer. That's who he is. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we have all been guilty of not handling sickness well. And so today, Lord, I pray that this word will go deep into our souls and will, will cause us to respond, Lord, with a lifestyle of obedience and that we will remain connected with you in the middle of our circumstances, regardless of where the healing happens or sickness continues, that, Lord, we will, be, we will find ourselves joyful and content in our circumstances because of you, realizing that whatever the will of the Holy Spirit is, it will be done, and nothing will stop it or change it. And so help us to seek you, to find out what your will is. And then realizing, Lord, that, that you will absolutely respond to our appeal. And that we would appeal to you, Father. That, we, that, that members of our church would come to the elders and we would, would allow us to pray over them in these circumstances as you lead. And that you would bring healing in that way. That we come to know you through that. But Father, most of all, just trusting your will and continuing to abide in you with expectation with a great sense of, or rather, expectancy, Lord, that you are going to do what is best. Grow our faith in you. Lord, we, we, we conclude our service like we started. Father, just saying that you are a good God. We recognize how great you are, and we worship you today for that. 